Hello, and welcome to the podcast where our goal is to remind you that amidst the chaos and craziness of the world, there is still plenty of good that's worth shouting about. In each episode, we're going to be joined by nonprofit professionals, leaders, experts, and advocates to hear their stories, facilitate connection within the nonprofit sector, and hopefully put a smile on your face, because that's always nice. This is Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. Let's share some good. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Connect. I'm Matt Barnes, the host of this podcast, and we want to try something a little bit different because I realized that I do better with somebody in the room, like make things more conversational. And these intros were getting a little bit like me trying to memorize something. And so please welcome my assistant, Tiffany. She's going to be joining me for these. There there you go. (laughs) Say hi, Tiffany. Hi, guys. So... All right, that's enough applause. You don't need any more of that. (laughs) So yeah, Tiff's going to jump in on these things. We'll see, you know, if it works. We don't want to make long intros or anything, but just, you know, make it a little more conversational, right? Yeah, even though long intros is what he's known for telling stories and keeping it going for so long. Whatever. (laughs) I am nothing if not brief. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway, lately I've been sharing a few things with the listeners just to help them kind of uh, know me a little bit and where I'm coming from because... Some of them might not. Yeah, your life's really interesting. Is it? I'm even fascinated. I mean, it's crazy. I learn something new every single day. See, and she doesn't say nice things to me very often, so that's nice. That was a compliment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So it probably has been mentioned here but never explained is we have a space here where we record, but it's also our offices called Rogue Collective. And it's here in Newport Beach, California. Yep. And I've talked about Rogue Creatives, my company. We moved into this space about a little over a year ago. And had the opportunity to kind of expand from the size that we were before. And we love community and we love creativity. Mm-hmm. And so we've built this creative co-working space. And it's got a podcast studio and a photo video studio and a conference room and offices. And we've got memberships that people can have and they can come and work here. And really, it's just we want to make this like a creative hub for Orange County. Yeah. A place for creatives to come together and make stuff and be inspired by each other. And then we also do events and we do networking things like last night we had our third nonprofit connect event. Yeah. Which was. That was awesome. It was so much fun. Yeah. I feel like everybody was collaborating, learning from each other. People were talking, staying after, talking to Bex. It was so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was super fun. Something happened with the audio recording. So (laughs) I'm going to have Bex, who was our guest last night. She's going to actually come and do the podcast because the audio sucked. Yeah. And we did a big Q&A thing and I realized we weren't like taking the microphone to the people asking the questions. Yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't really work. Anyway, we'll make sure that we include whatever we cover there. We'll cover when I talk with Bex. But yeah, it's awesome. And if you're ever in the area, if you're local or if you're visiting, come on by. Yeah, who would not want to come here? I mean, California, by the beach. Yeah, we're like a mile from the beach. Yeah. It's awesome. The weather's great. Awesome. So roguecollective.com, you can get the address and all the information and check it out. Or if you want to hold, we do events for nonprofits here a lot. And then obviously our nonprofit connect events. If you're listening to the podcast and you're ever in the area or you're local and you want to come to one of our in-person events, we do them quarterly. The next one's going to be October 18th, I believe. Yeah. With Matthew Wadlinger, who's been on the podcast, and Kendra Prier from Orangewood, who will be on the podcast. And we're really excited about that. We'd love to see you in person. Yeah. Yeah. And you can meet Tiffany. Yeah. And she can insult you the way she insults me. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, you know, whatever. But today on the podcast, we have... A really cool guest. I met her about a month ago. 
actually through the company that we partner with on this podcast, because she has a podcast with them as well, and we got connected. Her name is Alexander Reese. She's the founder of OPA Strategy. It's a company that aims to improve leadership and life and impact. Her role is growth guide. She's kind of, if you think like strategist, executive coach, and like trusted advisor all rolled into one for people. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really cool. We had a really, really great conversation. She and I have similar backgrounds as far as leadership goes and a lot of the same kind of theories and concepts and ideas. And it's really cool because it's playing out in different ways, but she works with a lot of nonprofits. And so we talked a lot about the benefits of self-leadership and Mm. working on yourself and how that can, the best thing you can do to make your organization run more effectively and treat people well and avoid burnout and and all those things. So we get into a lot of those specifics. You're really going to like it. There's a lot of really practical takeaways. And so we will be back right after this brief message with Alexander Reese. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is brought to you by Rogue Creatives. Did you know that your brand has a personality all of its own? Well, it does, or it should, but maybe it doesn't. How do you know if it does? Here's what you do. Ask yourself, does the way you describe your organization match the way you describe your branding? Because it really needs to. Why? Because people don't connect with organizations. They just don't. They don't feel connected to them. They, they feel connected to characters. They feel connected to personality. So it's super important that your brand has a personality that connects with the right people to bring them into your story. And that's what Rogue Creatives is all about. We've developed our very own process called the Strategic Storytelling Framework to define your brand personality and create a brand foundation that will make sure your organization has that main character energy that connects with others and pulls them right into your story. And by the way, it works. And we got the receipts. Our nonprofit clients have seen incredible increases in giving that have allowed them to help even more people and make the world a better place. Get started today by visiting roguecreatives.com slash NPC. That's NPC for Nonprofit Connect. You can schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. And we all know that everybody loves a good online quiz, especially when it's free. So get over there and do that because it's, it, why not? Why wouldn't you? You love it. It's going to be fun. That's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to begin defining your brand character today. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And honestly, we just can't wait to meet you. We, we kind of think we could be good friends. I think we could hang out. You could buy us lunch. We can help you with your branding and talk about the shows we're binging or whatever. It'd be nice. Rogue Creatives. Seriously, creative storytelling. All right, on with the show. All right. So I'm here with Alexandra. I've already introduced you, so they know who you are. (laughs) Before we dive into things, we want to connect with you. So we start off with something we call three random questions. Very cleverly named because I'm going to ask you three random questions. All right. Yeah, we're really good at that. So I've got this list of like 50 or 75 random questions, and then I have a thing that randomly selects three of them. So here we go. First question. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Ooh, I had wild blueberries with yogurt and a little granola. Ooh, that sounds tasty and healthy. Are you a pretty healthy eater? I'm a very healthy eater. Okay, I'm working on that. It's not my strength. What you put into your body is what you're going to get back out in terms of your performance every day. And I'm a big fan of optimizing my performance, so... Makes sense. That means I need to eat healthy. And that's what I've kind of come to the realization. And I got to make some changes because 
yeah, I was better before I had kids. And then now it's just like grab what you can when you can and it's not working out for me. So what TV show takes you to your happy place? I don't watch a lot of TV. I'll share that the thing I turn to that takes me to my happy place media wise is a book. It's called The Book of Delights. And it's by essayist. He's also a poet. I believe his name is Ross Gay. And he challenged himself for one year to write one essay a day about something that day that delighted him. And he had a couple rules. One, he couldn't store up delights. So it had to be something that day. And the second was he had to write the essay that day because he really wanted to make it a practice. And I love the book for two reasons. One, he's a beautiful writer. So it's just a delight to read. And two, I read that book when it first came out years ago. And I found that in reading it, it primed me to start seeing delight in my own life. And so whenever I pick up that book, whenever I'm feeling down or going through a hard time, it helps remind me that I have access to this way of seeing the world that can shift my emotional experience. It's so interesting. I have little kids, five of them, and some of the older ones, the five-year-olds, I've been having this conversation on a regular basis of, you know, you can choose what kind of day you want to have. And that doesn't mean things aren't going to go badly or something you don't want to happen is going to happen. But how you respond to that and you can choose, do I let this bad thing that happened make the whole day bad or do I go, okay, that was bad. I didn't enjoy that. And we're going to deal with that and we're going to still make our day as great as possible. And it's funny to watch, you know, five-year-olds trying to process that and wrestle with that. And I I get they're probably not going to totally get it right away, but I like the idea of like giving them those foundations. But it's also, I partially do it because it's a challenge to myself, you know, because I wasn't raised that way, really. Like, you know, that kind of wasn't the world we were raised, at least for me, to remind myself, like, sometimes things suck. And (laughs) you go, okay, that sucked, but I can still make the best of the rest of the day. I don't need to let that one thing ruin everything. And so it's a good challenge for me. But I love that idea of that book. What's, What's the name of the book again? The Book of Delights. Book of Delights. I'm going to look that up. Awesome. Yeah. And the other thing I like to share with people, if I may, is just a friendly reminder that any given moment in our lives, we are being inundated with hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of sensory information. We can't take in all of those. We can't make sense of all of it. So our brain has to have shortcuts. I call them mindsets. This is a lot of the work I do with clients to decide, okay, what information am I going to take in? What meaning will I make? And how do I respond? And I share that because I think that's an invitation for people to realize that at any given point, you could laser in on the thing that's a source of pain, or you could take a moment, do some nervous system regulation and regain access to that peripheral vision which when you're able to do that, you can start to see all the other stuff that's happening that can become a counterweight to the source of pain and hopefully start to crowd it out, right? So I think that's part of it is just remembering that our brain needs those filters, but those filters aren't always serving us. And part of the work we get to do is to hone those filters through, I like, you know, that book is one way I do it. Coaching is another way you can do it conversations like the one you're having with your daughter to just raise awareness that this is something we have access to is another great way. Yeah. What you're talking about is context, really. I mean, it's like being able to put things in context of the bigger picture. 
a lot of times because we compartmentalize things so much and we can get stuck in a compartment. We can get stuck in one area and let that define ourselves, our days, our whatever it is we're doing. But to be able to stop and have that bigger picture context for whatever reason that I don't know why, I'm going to enjoy this conversation because this is stuff I talk about all the time. But for whatever reason, for me, that has been something that I don't struggle with that much. Like I'm able to put things in context. But what I've been able to do with that is, which it sounds like this is a lot of what you do. And I mean, I have days, I have my moments, but be able to help other people who do easily get stuck in those moments to provide that context. And the challenge is doing it in a way that's not shaming or that's not going to just piss them off or, you know, make them feel like you're negating the experience that they're having or the feelings that they're having. I always like to say we're all putting things in context. That's what our mindset is doing. Each mindset, we have a multitude of them, is context. And so what I like to do, and I think it sounds like what you're really good at doing, is creating awareness about what's the context in which I'm locating this experience. I just worked with a leader who one of the big things we worked on was shifting from the context in which she was locating a lot of her work interactions was one of conflict. This is a manufacturing company. These people want to get subpar products out the door quickly. And that created a context of conflict. And she didn't even realize she was doing it because it was something that was a subconscious groove that felt comfortable. And so what we did was we first, we raised awareness and then we got to explore, okay, well, how is this serving you? And the invitation I always like to make in case it's helpful for you or other listeners is not to say this is wrong or this could be better, but to say, what if you could achieve the same goals, get quality products out the door as quickly as possible without the pain? of feeling like you're in a constant battle. What if? And if that sounds good, how open would you be to exploring a different way to contextualize and respond to things? Yeah. Well, let me ask the last question because (laughs) I'm committed to my segment, but I want to come back to that and I want to get some more context for our listeners for what you do. But last question, if you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be? Right where I am right now, which is a really beautiful thing to be able to say. That is. (laughs) I've only asked that question one other time on the podcast. And that person said the same thing. And I was like, man, that is a great place to be in life. I have traveled all around the world. I've lived in multiple other countries. And it's funny, people often now will ask me, where's your next big trip? And the last two years, I haven't had an answer because the sounds really cheesy to say. But I feel like the biggest adventure I get to be on these days is the one of discovering myself and helping people discover themselves. And it's like our conscious is infinite. (laughs) So often I feel like I get to travel every day. I'm just doing a different kind of exploration. I love it. That's great. All right. Let's give people a little context for you. Tell us your origin story for how you ended up kind of doing what you're doing now and what it is that you're doing now. Absolutely. So I call myself a growth guide. I work with high-performing leaders and their teams to help them figure out where do we want to go, how are we going to get there, and to cultivate the mindsets, the skill sets, and the habits to be able to get to their vision and hopefully do it with more confidence, ease, and joy. And I have a couple big turning points in my journey that I'll share. I grew up in a family where we did not talk about feelings or emotions. Like Until I was probably 25, The only level of granularity I had about my own feelings and emotions was I'm feeling good or I'm feeling bad. And 
My first job was as an economist, not surprisingly. I thought data had all the answers. You know, if we just got the right information, we could make the right decision. But then I found that people, not surprisingly now, were often taking our recommendations and putting them on a shelf. And when I started to explore why, it became really clear that people didn't feel ownership over the recommendation and or they didn't have the capability and capacity to execute. That was kind of the first turning point for me, which led me into doing more people process-oriented strategy consulting for organizations. Did that for a few years, really loved it, but then found our clients were still putting our recommendations on the shelf. And when I started to explore why, it led me to realize it's not enough just to have a great process that people can engage in because that creates ownership, but it doesn't necessarily create leaders who are capable of leading a transformation. To do that, you've got to do the work inside to help people figure out, am I aligned to this? Do I have the right mindsets and patterns of showing up? And do I have a healthy team dynamic where we can work together to address or resolve the inevitable road bumps that will come up? And that led me into coaching. And I thought that I would do coaching kind of a gift with purchase with strategy when I started doing that a few years ago. But I just fell in love with the results I was seeing with my clients. So about a year ago, I decided to make a big pivot in my own business to focus first and foremost on the work I do now. Love it. That's awesome. And so your company is? It's called OPA Strategy. Opus is the Finnish word for guide. And I'm Finnish by heritage, which I'm super proud of. And as I mentioned, the role that I play with clients is a growth guide. Awesome. Okay. So obviously this podcast is Nonprofit Connect. What is your experience in working with nonprofits? Ooh, extensive. Yeah. <laughs> I probably worked with about 60 to 70 nonprofits in my 13-year career. That's been actually one of the biggest client segments that I've served. My dad and my stepmom are both career public service people. So I grew up with a real deep appreciation for public service and a real call to action to be of service in my own community. So it felt for me like a really natural fit to work in that space. And I've done an array of work. Of course, as a strategist, I did a lot of growth strategy and strategic plans for nonprofits. As an organizational development consultant, I did a lot of organizational design and employee engagement work. And now I do a lot of coaching and leadership team development for nonprofit executives. Awesome. That's very cool. Because you also work with for-profits. What do you see is a differing kind of factor in there? Like for nonprofits, is there something that nonprofits you tend to end up having to work on more or focus on more than with for-profits? Or is it some of the same types of things? That's a great question. And one I've reflected on a lot. I think today they're struggling with many of the same issues. And those are, how do we meet what is a very different landscape of community needs and customer needs and demands than existed in 2019? So that's causing both nonprofits and for-profits to do a big rethink. I think the second big struggle is how do we support and engage and lead a team that's struggling with a lot of trauma from the last few years and a lot of burnout. And I think those issues are universal, regardless of what sector you're in. I do think 
writ large, if we step away from that kind of context of today that we're sitting in, people might be surprised to hear me say this. I think nonprofit strategy is harder than for-profit strategy because in the for-profit world, the objective is really clear. We are maximizing profits. And of course, you're going to have a set of criteria that you're going to use, you know, like your value statements that might help you to make sure you're making ethical values-based decisions. But in the nonprofit world, and it's similar in government, we're maximizing for public utility. And that is a far more ambiguous thing, and it's hard. And I think also what I've seen with nonprofits, and we did an episode on this a while ago, but is the level of burnout can be more because we can get in this mindset of, I'm doing it to change the world. And there tends to be this real passion or over-dedication and couple that with the scarcity mindset that a lot of nonprofits have, and especially startup nonprofits where you find executive directors who are just so passionate, they're not even taking a salary, they're not taking care of themselves in those ways, they're trying to do it all themselves, whatever it might be, the burnout rates can be really high. There's also, from a leadership perspective, a lot of leaders will put that also on their teams and that kind of like expectations that are beyond reason because, hey, we're doing it for a good cause. And so they're burning through people left and right and building resentment and all that. I mean, has that been your experience? Have you seen that as well? And then how do you address that when that comes up? How do you work with leaders through that? I've definitely seen that all add a third factor that contributes to it, which I think is a huge problem. And that is the pressure on nonprofits to minimize administrative overhead. And what I've seen that lead to is we're going to try and have the leanest staff possible and minimize salaries. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) You're overworking people and undervaluing them at the same time. I actually think that's where the DEI movement creates a really good foothold for starting this work because I think in most cases start at a systems level and look at what about our systems are perpetuating this unhealthy culture that creates burnout. And if you have at a systems level pressure from your funders and pressure from your board and your leadership to minimize that administrative expense for the purposes of reporting, that's going to be really hard to fight. So you've got to start there. And I brought up DEI because the thing that I've been talking with clients about and has been successful is you need to reframe that overhead cost as we're paying a living wage to our people for a healthy and sustainable amount of work. Because If we want to sustain the high impact we create for the people we serve, that starts with sustaining a healthy environment for the people who create that impact. And so you've got to change the way you frame your expenses and use it as an opportunity to talk about why you're raising salaries and why that ratio might be changing and talk about it through an equity lens, which most funders really prioritize. So I think that's part one. Part two, is I think your point about leaders passing that on is well taken. And I see that a lot. And I think you then part two is really working with the leadership team to raise awareness of what's my role in this? How am I contributing to this? And the two big things that I've seen at that level are one, the strategy is too broad. 
we're trying to do too many things to create impact and we lack the focus and clarity on the outcomes we're trying to drive that would allow us to winnow the work we're doing and empower people to focus and do better workload balancing in their day-to-day. So you've got to make sure the strategy is on point. And then part two is working with leaders to help them do that self-leadership so that regardless of how they're doing that day, they're able to raise awareness of, manage, regulate their emotions so that they're showing up with consistency and predictability. And I just did a podcast episode that released today with a leader of a private sector organization. We talked all about the importance of predictability and how leaders show up. And I think if you aren't predictable, you're going to create anxiety in your team and anxiety will contribute to burnout. A lot of that is being clear with expectations and reasonable with expectations. And for me, like that's not just helpful for my team. It's helpful for me because I've now said this. And so it gives me guidelines and boundaries for how I show up so that they can actually experience that. Because now if I say, hey, we're going to be about this or I'm going to do it this way or this is what I value. And then I do the opposite. You know, even for myself, I see that, you know, rub and they're going to see it obviously as well. And so it helps me to set those boundaries for myself or those guidelines for what I expect from them and how I communicate those things. I sometimes will find in the past, like I have expectations that I haven't communicated and then I'm disappointed or upset or frustrated because somebody didn't match those. And I realize, yeah, but I never communicated that. I never actually said it. It was all in my head. (laughs) In my mind, it was obvious, but like, is it? And different people have different values and different things going on in their lives. And to stop and go, oh, that was my bad. I need to be clearer in those expectations. I think that's a huge part of it. I think also we were both saying about leaders passing that on to their teams. A lot of that is something that I see in not just in nonprofits, but in culture in general, which is some people have the mindset of, I went through this, so I want to make sure that you don't have to. Too many people have the mindset of, I went through this. This is how I did it. So you have to. And I'm going to, you know, I was treated poorly when I came in. So now it's your turn. It's like hazing kind of thing, you know, like the shit rolls downhill. (laughs) Exactly. And I just never understood that mindset because to me, I'm like, oh, I learned this lesson. I can make it better for someone else. And as a leader, though, you have to get there. You got to be willing to learn that lesson and have that experience and then have that mindset of I want to make it better for someone else because that makes me feel better because they're going through it now too. So that justifies why I went through it and you know that kind of thing. And that's a hard thing to overcome sometimes, especially because again, it starts from that person. And our guest, she had toxic positivity as a leader because it was all like, we can do it and this and that and da, da, you know. And then she kind of got away and realized, oh my gosh, I was burning people out left and right with my toxic positivity because it was setting these expectations that were unrealistic. And it was like, I'm positive, so you should be too. And I'm still here, so you should be too. It invalidates people's emotional experience when you do that. Exactly. And so I love what you're all about of working with the leaders to make sure that they're taking care of themselves first. Because I think a lot of people focus on the organizational structure, but it really has to start with the people. Yeah. And I think some people are consciously perpetuating the experience. I think the other thing that I see happen is most of us never received any social emotional learning experience growing up. 
if you grew up with boomer parents, you probably didn't get it at home. And if you grew up in the education system before the last decade, you probably didn't get it at school. And so most of us didn't learn how to do that social emotional work or healthy relationship building in school. And then we get into the workplace and we don't get manager training. What that means is we take in those experiences we have along the way from our parents, our teachers, our early managers, authority figures in our lives. And we start to create this composite vision of what an ideal leader looks like that's often very toxic. And so subconsciously, we start to filter every experience and all of our possible responses through that ideal image. And then we end up showing up in ways that later it's like, what was I doing? That if you'd had time and space to reflect, you would have chosen a totally different response. But the problem is 95% of our thoughts, feelings, and actions come from our subconscious. All it's doing is looking for matching patterns and choosing behavior that fits past patterns. You got to figure out what's that subconscious ideal image I'm driving toward? How's that impacting the stories I'm telling myself and the patterns that I'm reinforcing? It's not serving me well. You got to change it. That's so great. Some people are consciously making these decisions like, well, I had to go through it. So you do too. But I think some of us just fall into those patterns because we don't know better. We weren't trained better. And it's funny because quite a few people where I've known them socially and I don't work with them. And they're like the nicest, kindest people. But then I find out at work because they don't lead from who they are and they don't even realize it. Or and then I've experienced it the other way where I know people I work with where I'm like, man, I can't stand that guy. I hate the way he talks to me. I hate the way he talks to our team, whatever it is. And then I experience him outside of work and I'm like, he's a completely different person. And that to me has always been such a warning sign of like, man, if you have that duality And I've always tried to watch for that in myself. Do I feel like I'm operating differently in different spaces, not just contextually, because like obviously you do certain things in certain places because it's cultural or you're quieter in the library or, you know, whatever. You don't yell in a movie theater. But as far as personality and what I bring, am I consistent, you know? And if not, when I see those moments where I'm going like, why am I acting like that there? I would never do that anywhere else. To me, that's a like, oh, that's something I need to investigate. That's a red flag. You know, that's something I need to like look into. I think you have a level of self-awareness that most people don't. And I put myself in that most people category when I say that. I remember in 2015, I took a summer off from my job, did a sabbatical, and I went and did a fellowship on innovation in Italy. And part of the fellowship, we worked in a team to essentially do like a business case. And I remember one of the people on the team about maybe two weeks into our work looked at me and she said, I love spending time with you outside of this work, but I hate being on a team with you. She was like, you are like two different people. She was like, you're kind, empathetic, thoughtful, great at listening when we're just hanging out. But as soon as you get into this team, you're like, let's get to the goal you know, driving forward, no room for exploration. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) and that experience was a real painful, rude awakening because then I started filtering all these other experiences I'd had at work because I was a pretty new manager at that point. And 
had to acknowledge that I was a terrible manager. I managed people like projects. I was too goal and deadline oriented. I didn't create space for exploration, creativity, innovation, personal growth and development. And I didn't have that self-awareness until somebody called it out. And I share that because I think that self-awareness is really hard to cultivate. And no matter how good we are at reflection, we can't always see the box that we've put ourselves in. And we can't always understand the impact of how we show up on other people. You have to be getting feedback, especially as a leader. Well, yeah. And that's one of the things that we do with branding and marketing. It's so important always to get outside perspectives because how you think you come across may not be how you come across. In the past, I've done a little like acting and things here and there and, you know, I'll do something and then I'll watch a video of it and I'm like, oh, that is not what I thought it was. Like, that's why you need a good director who can give you feedback. And I think that's true in any area of life. But what I love when I hear you say that, though, is there is a self-awareness that's required when somebody comes to you and gives that outside perspective for you to go, oh, and this is something I need to look into. Because sometimes, you know, I don't see it myself. Sometimes it does take somebody else going, hey, that didn't seem like you. That didn't seem normal. Part of it is I've tried to cultivate an atmosphere here where people feel they can say that to me and then I can look into it. But it's that willingness to look into it. When you work with leaders, how do you help them to make that transition? To me, ideally, we're all constantly being able to self-check. But the reality is we need to be open first to the fact that we have things to learn. We may not be coming across the way we want to. And how do you overcome that with people who are just very unaware of that? Well, that's a good question. A couple things come to mind. First, people who have no interest in cultivating greater self-awareness will never cross the threshold into working with a coach. And I'm not a traditional coach in the sense that I do part internal work and part skill development work and part external strategic advisory. But I typically will not work with clients who are not willing to acknowledge that the only thing I can change is myself. And I need to take ownership of that first and foremost before I can ever expect to create an impact or bring a vision to life that's greater than the potential that exists today. So that's the first thing I'll say is if you don't have an interest in cultivating self-awareness, you're probably never going to speak with me. <laughs> well, I'm probably not listening to a podcast like this either. <laughs> yeah. But for those who do, I always start my coaching engagements, my growth guide engagements with a 360 unless a leader has done it recently. And I use that in two ways. First is the obvious, which is we want to get feedback to inform development goals. Because as a leader, you're in a service position and your primary customers are your employees, not your external customers. And just like you as an organization need to get feedback from your external customers to drive how you show up and what you do, you as a leader need to get feedback from your customers to drive how you show up and what you do. So that's one. But the other way that I use a 360 is an opportunity for a leader to set the tone going forward for how I want to create a culture of feedback in the organization. So I say a 360 is you're taking the first step down a path toward building a culture where you have a healthy, productive exchange of ideas, intellectual debate and spirited conversation. And so you want to use this to set that tone. 
And when you set that tone and you consistently reinforce it, that's a whole other conversation about how to do that. That's what leads to a culture in which you don't need to be actively asking people, do you have any feedback for me? How did that land for you? Because there's going to be that free flow exchange. I love that. That's great. Well, we are running out of time. So I want to wrap up with our closing questions that we always do. And then I want you to share where people can find you because I think you've got some great resources. You're a great resource for people. And I already have some people in mind that I might be sending your way. So closing questions we ask every week. What's the one thing that makes you feel connected? Oh, I love that question. There are two things. One is going outside and laying in the grass and just being present. (laughs) That like literal grounding is so important for nervous system regulation. And then also just for reminding myself that I'm part of this world and I am an infinitesimal being. (laughs) It's a nice (laughs) reminder that like nothing I do is that important. Don't take yourself too seriously chill out, you're good. And then part two is just the literal reminding myself to call people, reach out and spend time with people I love. I started my business two years ago. I started my business because I am a growth guide as a person. It's how I show up for my friends. It's how I show up for my loved ones. It's how I show up for myself. So for me, it's not a job. It's who I am. And it can be very hard to make sure I'm those activities of work take over my life. So another big part is just being intentional about making sure I'm building in time for a connection. I love it. Who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch? I don't have a specific person in mind. I would love to hear and be able to have a conversation with any nonprofit leader who has a really healthy, thriving culture, because I think that is the hardest thing to do today given all the contextual challenges we talked about. So if that's you, if you're listening and you're (laughs) like, I've got high engagement, we're cooking toward our goals, we have pretty low turnover, like I want to talk to you. (laughs) I want to hear what you're doing because I'm working on my handbook about that. So I'll put that out there for anyone who's listening and says, that's me. Yeah, that's awesome. Who in the world of nonprofits do you think we should interview next? One of my longest standing clients The organization Up for Growth, they remove systemic barriers to housing because they believe that housing should be an opportunity, not a barrier for all. I did their first business plan in 2016 and have since helped them grow and scale their organization and their impact. And their CEO, Mike Kingsella, is just really a force to be reckoned with. And I think He is a leader, embodies a lot of what we've talked about today in the sense that he has done a lot of this self-work. He has done a lot of that creation of awareness, and he has done a lot of work to be very responsive to the changing needs of his organization and his partners and his membership as the organization and the landscape grows and evolves. And I just think he has a wealth of insights to share. Awesome. That's great. Last question. What aspect of your job brings you the most joy? Uh, Getting to have conversations like this with people. I like that. That's good. (laughs) Well, Alexander Reese, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You have your own podcast. What's it called? Where can people find it? It's called Empowered Leadership. 
And every episode is a candid conversation with a leader I admire about what it takes to build an organization, a life, and a legacy you love. And so I invite people to listen who are really passionate about those topics and improving themselves. They can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever they download podcasts. Very cool. And then your organization, where can they find information on that or on you? Please connect with me on LinkedIn. That's an easy way to get in touch and see what I'm up to. You can also stop by my website, OPA Strategy. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And if you do, I would suggest you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, The Growth Guide, because every week I share really actionable insights, frameworks, and how-to guides for leaders of related to how to address the biggest challenges my clients and their organizations are facing today. I just wrapped up a series earlier this year on how to sustain a high-performance culture. So if that's a topic, there's some really great resources on that. And I just wrapped up a series on self-awareness and how to use self-awareness as a tool to accelerate growth. Well, I'm going to sign up for that. That's awesome. Love free resources. And hopefully, yeah, we can send some people your way because I think this is something that the nonprofit world needs a lot of and the whole world does. But it's a great service you're offering and you clearly are very intentional and have a lot of great insights and expertise in this area. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and we'll hope to have you back someday. Would love to. Thank you. Here we are at the end. You made it. Thank you so much for listening this far. And if you'd like to hear more from Nonprofit Connect brought to you by Rogue Creatives, well, then make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you don't miss out because you don't want to miss out. You want to be on the you want to be on the in, you know, you want to be on the inner circle. You want to know what's going on. Also, if you're interested in working with us or want to reach out or tell us how amazing we are, visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. You can get all the info there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, we won't see you. We'll hear you. Well, you'll hear us. Well, whatever. Bye. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with the team at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is LL Amprell of Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. LL Amprell of Fame does our booking and guest relations. And Belinda Carter-Thompson of Rogue is the glue that holds it all together. We'd love to give a shout out to our amazing guests for joining us this episode. And thank all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review. Preferably, you know, five stars with some words saying how amazing we are. That's always helpful. Also, tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. This has been a Rogue Creatives production.